Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we're talking about Andor episode 10 with myself and Paul Hoppy. We'll be right back after this commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined by Paul, my erstwhile guest. And Paul, let's skip all the small talk. I just got to start by asking, what happened to Kino? Dude can't swim. Is he just waiting on that platform? Like, what What happened? I mean, yeah. You don't just go jumping into the ocean. I mean, maybe he did jump. We don't know. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he turns up later and we find out what happened to him. But I would also not be surprised if, like... We just don't know, you know? He can't yeah. swim. So, like, probably didn't go too well. But, like, maybe. I don't know. Maybe he jumped. I mean, maybe someone helped him. Maybe he just waited there. Maybe he's like, you know what? I'm going back inside. I'm just going to shoot every one of those freaking people <laughs> in there. Like, who knows? It's the kind of thing that in a lot of other shows I think would have really bothered me and been like, oh, come on. Why didn't you like, you know, close that loophole or whatever? Not loophole, but, you know, like tie up that loose end. Mm -hmm. In this, I believe you. I think they are completely aware that they left that quite literally hanging on the edge. And like at some point, you know, either we'll find out or we'll just assume he's dead. Because that's kind of part of the point is that you try to come up with this crazy plan at the last minute and some of it goes well. But maybe you forget that the whole thing is surrounded by water and then you're just kind of ass out of luck. Yeah. And you just, you just get there and you're like, I can't swim. <laughs> like, uh, I did, yeah, huh? I, I didn't really think this far ahead. You know, it was just get out <laughs> of the prison. That's like, oh, yeah. Huh. I mean, he's been there for a while, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, at some point – you might just like forget where you are. There's only yeah. inside the prison, you know, and then you get out and you're like, oh, yeah. And they might not have even seen 100% that it was surrounded by water because like mm -hmm. they get flown in and they're, you know, they're yeah. <laughs> they're not like moving freely about the cabin, right, on their, on their transport in. So, I mean, we don't even know if he's a, a prisoner of the Empire initially. He could have been a prisoner of the Republic. We don't know. Right. Given the vast number of people who we know who, who come from places where there isn't necessarily like ample bodies of water near them, like I don't think there's much tourism, uh, at least for the kind of people who are going to wind up in the prison, unfortunately. Like I would have liked it if a couple of our people had a similar problem, but still, it was pretty darn effective. What do you mean? Like if – oh, you mean like the fact that it was just just him? Yeah. Eh, I don't know. I, I feel like that would have diminished the effectiveness even if it would have possibly added a little bit extra like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you know, it probably would be about 5% of these thousands of people, you know. Right. But it's not like we saw every single person, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we just saw everybody was running and jumping and uh, like Andor didn't even jump in, right? Like he got knocked yeah, he over. Yeah, like pushed. Yeah, like he was trying to talk to Kino, but people were just like, go, go, go. <laughs> All right. Well, rather than just laser focus on my one obsession from the episode, let's maybe pull the camera back a little bit. Um, what'd you kind of think overall? I mean, this was pretty much, you know, the episode that I felt like I was waiting for that, but not, not impatiently waiting for, but just that I felt, um, you know, the kind of the, you know, the, the catharsis and the release of, you know, literally self-release, um, you know, of all the prisoners, I feel is 
very earned, you know. Right. Um, I like that they didn't focus in the last two episodes too much on all of, you know, the torture and the the prison itself. Like, I feel like they established it. And then the second mm-hmm. one, there was a twist. Um, but I, I don't think we spent a ton of screen time in the prison in the second episode. And then here, of course, we did spend a lot. So, you know, if you just laid out all of, you know, the prison scenes in terms of like you structured it like a movie, actually, this one was probably as much as the rest combined. Right. So right. a lot of it was this escape. Um, I like that. Andor basically came up with the plan, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, working with some other people, talk, talking with them, and that uh, he kind of had to get Kino on board. Even once Kino was like, you know, never more than twelve, it still, it still wasn't easy for him to just be okay. All of a sudden, I have a plan, you know, and I know how I want to get out right. of here. It was like, you know. Cassian's like, I have a plan. We have to do this plan now. We can't sit around and wait, right? Because they right. know that they messed up. Things are going to change. So before they change, we need to take action. Um, and they do. And it goes, you know, really well. I mean, except for the people who get shot. Uh, mm-hmm. But I liked the idea of basically a bunch of them telling themselves like, you know, and I mean, it started with Kino, but then other people said it like, you know, I'm already dead. Basically, just and like, you know, if if I actually escape, like that's a bonus, you know, but I'm not going to like be sitting here hoping that for one result or another, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to do it. Go ahead. And like it it turns out how it turns out. And um, and then the, you know, actually Kino like and or like convincing Kino to like make a speech and he's like no you have to do it you know he's like come on that's mm-hmm. the best you got come on let's go and then, and then Kino ends up quoting Cassian also yeah uh, which I thought was really nice I thought it was really well done and, and you're right like after two episodes back we were like okay we had an episode in the prison that was great but now we're ready for the escape please and we didn't get the escape but we loved it anyway because it was such a good twist and like build up but here, you know, they gave us that escape, like you said, that we'd been waiting for. And what I really loved about it is, like, yes, Cassian comes up with a plan, but, but like, 90% of the plan is still convince everyone to just start throwing stuff at the guards and take over. And, like, yes, yeah, spilling the water so that they'll electrify the floor and knock out the electricity is a part of that, to be sure. But, like, really, it, it seems like 90% of the hardest work is getting the people to believe that, A, that this can happen, and B, that it's worth doing. And like like you said, he has to convince Kino, and then they have to convince everyone else, this idea of, you know, you're going to die anyway. Because to me, in a lot of ways, that's kind of a microcosm of the whole rebellion idea. And it's something we've seen a lot in Star Wars, especially in some of the books and some of the rebels and, and Clone Wars type stuff. But, you know, this idea of like... The idea that if you just keep your head down and do what the Empire says, then you can be relatively safe and you don't want to risk that safety by becoming a rebel. And and what they're convincing them is like, no, you're not. You're just stuck in this system and you think you're going to have this escape, but you're never going to get it. You're basically dead already. And that's more literally true for the prisoners than for most people in the Empire. 
But to some extent, some literally and for many metaphorically, it is true for most of the people the, the Empire is oppressing. And it, it just worked so well for me as kind of like what they're doing in this small prison is the larger story of what these people are trying to do for, for everyone to get them to realize, like, look, you're already dead or you're already enslaved. What do you have to lose? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I'm sure, very deliberately – you know, a metaphor for the, for the overall rebellion, right? It's like this is a, right. a micro rebellion. This is a, a, a local rebellion within the prison. And, you know, I, I imagine we'll see one more local rebellion before the season is done. But, um, yeah, I, I like that the plan was basically like this might work. You know, yeah. <laughs> but like also this will work way better if we get everybody to buy into it, you know, right. and that's that's why Cassian was was trying to get Kino on board in episode two. Um, that's why he's trying so hard to do that, because he wasn't like he, he didn't just want the information. Right. He wanted the information, but he also wanted the buy in. You know, he wanted um, the the person who who could convince the other people, you know, so he had to convince him, right. you know, Cassian had to convince Kino so Kino could convince the rest of them. And the thing that I thought was so striking was that um, the empire it, within the context of this prison basically like sowed the seeds of their own destruction, not just by oppressing people so much and by giving them just no hope at the end of the day, right? But also by by teaching them discipline, <laughs> by like yeah. they made them soldiers, you know, like their program gave them this discipline to just act and basically mm -hmm. follow orders from Kino. So yeah. that group of, you know, 49 workers just instantly turned into a group of 49 rebels with a commander. You know, and and I thought that was that was kind of awesome, you know, that he, I hadn't thought of that. But it's such a good point, because you're right. Like in most prisons, it would be like, you know, five to ten gangs of five to ten people. And you'd have to convince each of them. Mm -hmm. But here it's just like, no, once you got Kino on board, like everyone else is, is lining up for yeah, you. Yeah, They've been following him, following his orders every day for for however long. And like now it's just like, OK, attack, <laughs> you know, yeah, one way out. Run, climb, well, it's funny kill. too because I thought you were going to go in a different direction because I think the other way that the Empire kind of like sowed its own destruction is kind of what Luthen has been saying this whole idea, this whole time because it's also the fact that the Empire uh, – that the, the people running the prison, you know, went beyond the normal level of horribleness and because of a mistake they made, they wound up killing like this whole floor of people. And it was that fact and that like realization of actually, wait, they've dialed up the oppression and we're realizing they're dialing up the oppression that convinces everyone to, to rebel. And like, I'm still not sure I agree with Luthen, but this is exactly the kind of thing he's talking about, about you have to make like if, if, the, if the handcuffs, if the slavery feels comfortable, you have to make the you have to make people feel their own oppression more so that they want to rebel against it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that was I, I felt like we kind of like last week that gave us that right. The the feeling yeah. of like, um, 
yeah, the the empire, like they made a mistake, you know, and the mistake was like letting and maybe it was a clerical error. I mean, I've, I've seen some a little bit of discussion about like whether it was, you know, they accidentally sent the person to level four and they meant to transfer them to a different prison or whether they just thought they could get away with it and they didn't, you know. But yeah, by by murdering a 100 people, um, you know, basically they 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 definitely incited rebellion here, right? And yeah. you know, if there wasn't anybody like Cassian, and if there wasn't anybody like Kino or uh, Melshi, or you know, uh, I don't know the name of the the other guy who was like very much in on it, but um, you know, if they weren't there, maybe the the rebellion wouldn't have occurred right maybe there wouldn't have been a prison break but there was and they were there and and yeah i mean they they definitely dialed up the oppression the oppression to a level that is more just immediately felt right viscerally felt and they were thinking that that would keep people in line more uh but i think you know it, it can certainly backfire yeah no i think it's so and, true and it did <laughs> I think that's so true. And the more I think about it, the more I realize how perfect this is as part of the larger Star Wars story. Because forget, I'm going to go on a bit of a digression here, but it's very connected, I promise. Both Gandhi and Martin Luther King often spoke about how, you know, the, the things that can make movements work is hope. But like a big part of that is overcoming fear. And that most oppressive systems like for the most part, like, the oppressors are greatly outnumbered by the people they're oppressing in many situations. Not all, but many situations. But that it's that – and, like, frankly, if every one of the oppressed rose up, the oppressed, the oppressors wouldn't be able to kill, kill all of them by any means. But they would kill some of them. And if everyone's afraid that they might be the one who are being killed, then everyone's afraid and no one's going to ever rise up. And I mean, that's a gross simplification of like thousands of pages of, you know, non nonviolent resistance theory. Uh, and clearly Andor is not nonviolent. Yeah. Um, but I think the core of it idea is very true. And I, I, I mentioned that with Star Wars because, like I said, it's about hope and fear being kind of opposite sides of the same coin. So much of the Star Wars story has always focused on the idea of hope, the new hope, you know, and the, that Leia saying it at the end of Rogue One, that what they got in the plans is hope and all these kind of things. And that comes up again with Leia and the sequels and all that sort of thing. And I think this is about that flip side because this is the perfect illustration of you can't get people to rise up until you help them overcome their fear. And it feels very bleak to say don't be afraid of dying because you're already basically dead. But it actually works really well. And it's it's a really good way of sort of helping any people be like, what is it you're so afraid of? Like you're already – every all the bad things you can think would happen to you are basically already happening to you. And and so I just – we've kind of said this before, but I just wanted to add that like, further detail of the, of the connection there because it just feels like it is it, – this kind of overcoming of fear is what has to happen first so that the hope can can start to, to take root. Yeah, and I think – I mean I think there's two ways to overcome fear. One is to basically make peace with you know the, the, con the outcome you're concerned with. Right. right. The possible consequences right. of your actions. Whatever those are, whether it's death or whether it's, you know, financial loss or, or whatever it is. Um, right. And then the other one is is to 
you know, kind of mitigate those consequences, right? Like that's, that's another, that's not a big option here, but sometimes right. that, cause there's, there's rational fears and there's less rational fears, right? I mean, right. you could be afraid of something that isn't a realistic possibility. Um, and then you can be afraid of something that's like, yeah, that, that might kill you. You, you should have some right. concern over fire, right? Like, <laughs> and, and they kind of do both here because on the one hand that the fear that the men with guns will kill them all, like, no, they kind of find that, if all of them take action at the same time, they can overwhelm those men with guns. The idea that someone can throw a switch and electrify all of them is a legit fear. And so that one they have to overcome, like not just be like, I won't be afraid of electricity. Like, no, let's short it out somehow, you know? Right, exactly. And, and still, you know, the, the, you know, two guards with blasters, like, yeah, they're probably going to shoot some people and they did, right? Like they're, they're going to kill some people. Um, and so, so that fear is still real, but it's different than the hundred percent certainty of like, oh yeah, um, if they just flip the switch, everybody's just dead instantly. You know, um, that's th- being able to short that out. I think makes it like, okay, at least, at least you know, there's a fighting chance. For sure. One thing I was also really struck by by those prison scenes is that, and I promise we'll get to some of the other stuff in the episode too. But obviously, this was a big part of it. For the most part, we haven't really seen the prison guards. We've mostly just seen people like Kino kind of like, uh, you know, giving all the orders on behalf of the Empire. And every now and then we see like a guard with a gun or something like that. And then, of course, we've heard this announcer's voice, which sounds so like you just imagine this as this like super sadistic mustache twirly. You know, I'm going to control this prison through fear and sadism and all this stuff. And then you get to the control room and you find the man who's been making all the announcements and he's just some like nebbishy bureaucrat in the security department who like is totally scared when people point a gun at him. And I then like sympathy oh, – it, it's not that I'm like, oh, OK, so maybe what he did wasn't so bad. No, he's a horrible person who was torturing people. But he wasn't what I expected at all. You know, mm-hmm. he was much more of like, oh, yeah, it's like – just a dude and maybe he probably did sign up just because it was the way to get a paycheck you know and now he's in this job and like he's doing horrible things he's a horrible person but like he's not he's not what i expected you know yeah i thought that was again very effective and very intentionally done yeah i think you know i mean you know we saw guards when they would introduce someone new and when you know we saw the one guard when um uh olaf had had a stroke but yeah, we we had more of, you know, the main orders outside of Kino were coming from this this faceless voice, right? Yeah, and, disembodied voice, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was clearly, you know, there, there, was, there was some processing on that signal, right? Yeah. <laughs> In order to make it sound more intimidating, but also make it like anonymous feeling. Yeah. Right? Like this is the anonymous hand of of you know big brother basically right um but then it turns out to be just like this random inconspicuous dude who just like yeah he just that's the job he got he's got some power he he's clearly not like a true believer of the empire right because he's like no i can't do that then they're like do it or i'll shoot you oh yeah i can do that (laughs) you know yeah he's not there's no like i you rebel scum like i will you know you She's like, no, okay, I don't want to die. Yeah. You guys can go free, whatever. Yeah. Like he's totally fine killing a bunch of people, but like he he just processes it as like this is my job. I'm just doing my job. Just another day at work, 
And then right. this day is a very different day at work. I really wanted them to shoot him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to say, you know, I was like, I, and, and so my, I mean, my, my headcanon, if we never see another minute of Kino is he just went back in and just shot everybody. And I like, appreciate that. To yeah. whatever end, you know? Um, Cause you're right. I mean, like his, like, it was so funny the way you said it that the guy is just like I, I'm. Just, it's just a job. I'm just doing my job. It sounds very much like you know I'm just following orders and like it's exactly. not an offense clearly. Right. But it's just it's also it's like yeah he's not. He's not the like the villain you love to hate. He's just this guy. He's just one more cog in this evil machine. Right. There's there's not. It doesn't feel like there's any particular malice. There's just a complete lack of consideration for anybody else's lives right so it's like you could you know i mean it's it's not better or worse it's just different and so it's just like yeah i'm i'm just gonna shoot you because because you know for 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 level two like i'm just gonna shoot you in the face like yeah i i did appreciate that last guard who was kind of like trying to get up when they're getting out and mm-hmm. and or just like offhandedly shoots him like he's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um that felt right so this ties into something i've been thinking about a lot and in part because i've been reading a lot of interesting stuff about like jedi on the dark side uh, i read this book called um the old republic deceived uh, I think it's called Deceived. But, but, and basically, one of the things it's about is a Jedi who, ha- her, like, she feels the experience of her master being killed by a Sith Lord. This is like, you know, thousands of years ago. And she just wants revenge. And mm-hmm. she kind of, like, flirts a lot with some dark side feelings and eventually, like, leaves the Jedi Order. And it's like, yeah, some of those feelings were okay. And, and, but, but kind of, it, it, it's all about, like, the wrestling that the Jedi have to do. And, I think one of the things that Andor is really showing me is the Jedi couldn't lead this movement. Like right. the whole idea of like as a – there's like eight thoughts all connected here. So I'm trying to make this a coherent thing. Mm-hmm. But like I've always sort of felt that part of the idea is like – you know, it's sort of like that moment from Buffy uh, in season five, I think it is, where uh, I- I'm connecting all the different dots – where there's a there's like glory ha- glory the evil one has this like guy who she also is on earth who's not actually terrible and who buffy will never be willing to kill and giles is like yeah buffy is too good a person to ever do that oh, so right. i have to do it yeah 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 and like i i, I think obi-wan would like be horrified by all the things these people are doing and i think if obi-wan was in charge they'd get wiped out because they like you know the people Andor leaves behind would would tell what happened or would shoot him in the back or any or if they didn't hold the gun to that kid's head the administrator would never do what they needed him to do like it's it, it's just this very interesting insight into like the Jedi are such an important thing but the Jedi can't get their hands dirty the way someone like Andor can and maybe that's why you need some Andors as well as some Jedi yeah I mean I think. You know, the Jedi have their own, you know, I mean, it's it's a religious order, really, right? Right. But then also, they're theoretically like space cops. So, you know, it, it, it gets messy, when, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it's like, I, it does seem like in the Star Wars setting that the idea of using the Force this way or that way, 
um, has some kind of more consequence on the individual than just making right. similar choices without, you know, having as yeah. much power, right? Or having, having the force. Um, and okay. Uh, I, I do think like the idea of leaving the Jedi order in order to pursue um, vengeance. I mean, whether the idea is to pursue it or not, like I think, you know, a Jedi who's like a space cop basically going around and, um, you know, uh, seeking vengeance, I think is a real problem. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm saying like, yeah, I want Andor and Kino to shoot these people. But like if they were representing the New Republic, I don't want them to shoot these people. I want yeah, them to arrest exactly. these people, right? Or do something different. Um, and so that's – to me, that's kind of the difference is like here it's the people with the least power I think have the most reasonable claim that, you know, violent resistance is like the best they can do. Like there is no changing the laws in the Senate and thus dialing back the empire, right? That's not going to be a thing. and. Right. You can go and try that, and I'm not against trying that, but I am against saying, okay, well, let's just do that, and if it doesn't work, oh, well, right? Yeah. I think there's a point at which it's like, no, this cannot stand, and, you know, you take, you know, by any means necessary, basically, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think the space cop thing of it is definitely a part of it, and, and to be clear, yeah, the, the vengeance story, I, I don't want to give too much away sure. if people want to read it, but it's – she does kind of recognize some problems with vengeance to be sure and mm -hmm. doesn't go quite off the deep end. But but part of what it's recognizing is that because of her connection to the force, you know, that the, because she's with a human smuggler – who doesn't – who does play like, you know, get his hands dirty a lot more and then bounces back. Right. And, it, it, you know, it's that, that, that Yoda line of once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. I think part of what this is showing is that's not true for non-Force users. Right. You know, I mean, it might still be in terms of just general moral failings. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's check back with Luthen in uh... – Yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll get to him in a second. But, you know, and – I'm going to go off one more tangent on this and then we can tie it back. Um, I've talked about some of the, the novels about Leia that have come out recently, The Princess and the Scoundrel and also um, – Speaking of a, a Jedi or Force-sensitive person with a, with a smuggler. Well, yeah. Well, that's the whole point oh. is that uh, in that book a little bit and then also in um, – I think it's called Bloodlines because um, it's all about like her – connection to Vader being being revealed while she's in politics, mm. like, it's never expressly stated. And so this might be some of my headcanon. But I think the implication that they're giving is because – like, because she talks often about how she has to do all this political double dealing and kind of cutting deals and compromises that Luke would always be too pure to do. Mm. And, and kind of the implication is kind of like – Part of why she resists doing more force training, becoming more of a Jedi, is because then she can't get her hands dirty in politics the way she feels she needs to. Right. And so, yeah. So, that that just kind of, that that's a tangent, but it all just ties into the stuff that I think is really interesting about what the show is exploring. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I have to say that the idea of like sort of the force and you kind of magically become like evil and like I, I don't like it. Like, yeah. I love Vader's turn back to the light side, but, like, the sort of 
Com- and that's why every turn, I guess, hasn't really worked for me, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I think Anakin kind of having this magical moment of when he becomes, you know, evil. Like, I, I don't like it, you know? It just didn't work yeah. for me. I liked the idea of this little kid on Tatooine with a shadow of Vader against, the, you know, the, the hut or whatever. Like, that was a great movie poster. And I love the story of sort of someone... um going in that direction over time. But I think the idea of this sort of moment, you know, the, the way there there was uh, spoilers for the thing uh, that if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you haven't. But, you know, mm-hmm. another fall of a, a Jedi to to become a Sith Lord, like it, it, it just didn't totally work for me, you know. And yeah, I, I do think like in reality, it, like things are more complicated. I, I do think that, you know, there are dark paths that people can go down. And I think that, you know, when you do one thing that feels, you know, however you want to say it, but maybe, maybe if you say, call it like morally compromising or whatever, or, you know, mm-hmm. compromising some things that you think of as values, I think it can become easier and easier to cross whatever lines there are that you, you wanted to not cross. Right. And, and I think it can, I think people can lose their way for sure. You know, I mean, I've always thought that the idea that power corrupts is a little, little misguided. I think more power reveals, but like, I do think, you know, Mm -hmm. people can follow a path and, and it's harder, it's harder to turn back than it is to keep going the direction you're headed. I think. Right. Um, but like, but I do think it's, it's possible to turn back. And I think it is possible to say, I am doing such and such specifically for these reasons. And if you have a really strong sense of self and, and like motivation and like hopefully a good support group and, you know, <laughs> some people to talk to, I think would be really helpful. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's the sort of thing where a person has to end up getting lost because they're, just, yeah. you know, um, cause they do a particular thing. But I do think it's also a thing where someone can get lost. Yeah, I definitely agree with you with that. And I, in some ways it's why I've started to enjoy some of the books on this question, because in a book, you can tell that story of a gradual fall where – because in a lot of the books, when someone d- goes in that direction, it's not that they have that one magical moment and, oh, by the way, I'm – you know, the light has turned from blue to red. I'm suddenly a Sith. Right. It's more that like they realize they've been using the dark side for some time now, mm, okay. you know? Yeah. And, and I think that – like I think the other thing you talked about I think did it a lot better than they did with Anakin. But also, yeah, it was because you, you kind of want that cinematic one moment, which is I, I think isn't what the story should be. Yeah. Which is and why the, the Clone way, Wars did it better than the movies, right? I mean – Yes. With much, Anakin. Much, better. Yeah. And yeah, because I think with Anakin, like it, it's shown that by the time you get to the third movie – He's he's been using some dark side energies and stuff like that for a while. Yeah, you know, he's, he and force that, chokes people, right? I mean, yeah, and like Ezra, like does go give into dark side temptation somewhat, and then pulls back. Yeah, and because I think you're right. To me, I don't like the idea that like because you're connected to the force, that it's a like a just switch that's flicked, and then you can never go back unless you're super super special, Anakin. <laughs> To me, it's more – it feels more – it is the idea of like when you have – I think there's some idea of the mysticism of the force in that 
because of this idea that the Force kind of has a will of its own, especially more the dark side of it, that there is kind of some, like, you're in this sort of mental link with something else that has some pull on you. And I think that's part of it. But I think a lot of it is also is just kind of what you're saying, that, like, you know, if you have a little bit of power and you find that you can use that power in not great ways for a result you think is a good thing, that's a little tempting to do again and again, but it's not very much power, so there's not very far you can go with it. Right. And the more power you have, the more tempting that that can be, and the harder it might be to stop doing that. Um, right. It's like playing a game on easy mode, right? It's like, it's like, yeah. well, should I just go to easy mode and then, you know, beat this villain? And then, then we'll just go back to regular mode. Or it's like, or, or you do the whole game on regular mode. Like... I would imagine yeah. if you have that that force power, it's like, yeah, it's like, why don't I just force choke this dude? I mean, come on, it's it's what I'm gonna let him keep shooting his blaster. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what do I really need to negotiate with all these people? Why don't I just shoot them? You right. know, uh, or force choke them, or whatever. So anyway, so yeah, pulling back to the episode itself, although still on the same idea of like, you know, what can you or can't you do for a rebellion? Um, let's talk about Luthen because. His scene was real interesting. Yeah. Well, I will say that what we learn about Luthen in this scene, which first of all could be a performance, we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. But it felt it felt pretty raw. It felt like there. It, it felt like conviction. He's um, definitely not Luthen the art dealer in this scene. No, he's not. He, he's not. He's very much back to the person who Andor met. Yeah. And like both of those might be performances, right? But mm-hmm. yeah. um, but I think the things that he said to the ISB mole, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think like those go along with somebody who would be like, oh, yeah. Uh, this dude Cassian Andor knows about my ship. Uh, yeah, we we should we should bump it off. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't want to, but yeah, let's go ahead and do it. You know. Yeah. Um. So I feel like the way last week, um, Dedra's reaction to Cyril and um Cyril's like. <laughs> sort of developments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sort of retconned the previous week. Like, you know, it it made the previous thing that bothered me in their conversation make more mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, this makes that thing with Andor that was kind of bothering me make more sense, right? So yeah. I feel like it's not that Luthen isn't a character who makes a lot of sense. I feel like Luthen makes plenty of sense i feel like luthan's maybe not the character i would have hoped he would be um Mm -hmm. but like in terms of who i want people to be not necessarily who i wanted to be for the sake of the show you know yeah um i think this is a very interesting character for the sake of the show who's like yeah well you know i mean it's only 50 men you know yeah like we don't want to give up our you know isb um, trump card basically in order for some like raid on spell house like I, you know this this and you know this Krieger guy what Anto Krieger um, I I mean let's not even bother learning his name like he's just gonna get they, they killed threw a and... lot of like there was a lot of new developments that were revealed as part of this plot yeah yeah no but what and I mean is names. like we knew like 
he was talking about him with Saw, right? He wanted Saw right. to give him, uh, you know, support. Um, and now he's like, eh, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the, the, the empire's onto it. Let's just, uh, let's just give that one up, call that one a loss, you know? Yeah. Um, and still though, to this guy, he's not telling him that he, he was, uh, involved in Aldani, you know? Um, he's, he's just very cagey, um, mm-hmm. doesn't care about individuals in terms of, um, what their individual outcomes are, you know, mm-hmm. basically I think any losses are acceptable. He's pretty much already sort of like buried himself in terms of like, whoever I was is not who I need to be in order yeah. to get done what I believe needs to be done. Uh, he reminds me a lot of V. That That's very much what I was thinking as well, that he, he kind of feels like V, but who hasn't come – like V says very similar things about how like <clears throat> he will never see the world that he is building. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of like how – <clears throat> um, kind of like how Luthen says, you know, I'll never see the sunrise on on this new world that I'm having to create. But I feel like V has come to peace with that. V kind of accepts this is the role I have to play. And because I know people like Evie and McCreevy and, uh, or the cop and others will do their part, I'm okay doing my part. Whereas Luthen is still pretty bitter about it, you know, and he's like, it, it's almost the sort of like, I've had to lose so much that I should get to decide that everyone else should lose that much too, because we have to win at all costs. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think he just has such a grim outlook, you know, yeah. whereas, you know, V has this very poetic outlook, you know, right. like for him, I, I feel like everything's a bit more of a, a performance in terms of just like, you know, the poetry of things. Whereas right. um, I feel um, Luthen is more, you know, like utilitarian. He's like, no, what's what's going to be the effect? You know, that's the only thing that yeah. matters. Like, um, what's the outcome? How is this going to affect our chances? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to me, Luthen is playing chess, you know, where he's like, yeah, sometimes in chess, you have to sacrifice pieces to set up a better play, which makes sense in chess. But, like, when those pieces are 50 living, breathing, you know, sentient beings, like, that's a very different story. Yeah, for sure. You only have 16 pieces in chess, first of all. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no, totally. I mean, it's like, that's the thing. And, in fact, I've heard um, chess grandmasters say and i'm not sure the origin of this quote but uh, i think i've heard jesse cry say it like basically um pawns are not people right like mm-hmm. in a chess game don't treat your pawns like they're people if you know if you think you should sacrifice one sacrifice one like it doesn't matter right it's 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 a chess piece it doesn't have feelings right whereas like in in real life you know <laughs> or in a story you know that that's a that's a person who who lives and breathes and has thoughts and feelings and and you know family and friends or not but still you know their their life is their life and right. um and so i think that is the sort of like you know hard decision kind of thing where it's like but like he's making those decisions for other people you know, so it's like, I mean, I think he's not the best, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I think there's something to be said for, you know, I mean, he says, like, I'm, you know, I 
use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. Like, and, and basically he has this sort of like, you know, and I'm damned for that kind of outlook. Right. right? Um, and so on, I think he thinks he's the one making the tough decisions. Uh, but you know, I think when you're making those decisions for other people, there's, there's something to be said for like, yeah, I mean, are you going to end up creating the world you want to create if that's how you go about it? You know, I don't know. Um, right. Because if the that's one of the things the empire does is it it doesn't see people as people it sees them as pawns to be used for you know the greater purpose the greater good and and as I think you see with people like Cyril and and Dedra and I think with some others in the bureaucracy there are some who clearly believe that like you know killing this amount of prisoners will make things better for all the other prisoners you know just like all the other you know all the ways that fascists convince themselves that like they are making things better for all their subjects um it's almost always a lie um and the people in like complete charge almost always know that it's a lie but but it's how, how, how people convince themselves right and you know so you have to kind of ask yourself like is you know is luthan convincing himself that this is necessary um or does he just think this is necessary and mm-hmm. so he's just doing it. And, you know, at, at the at the end of the day, it's like, who's to say, you know, it's like yeah. ultimately he's going to try and make the world the way he thinks the world should be through any means necessary. And, you know, the empire is going to try and make, you know, the world the way the empire or the emperor thinks it should be by any means necessary. And ultimately, it's just like, well... Whose vision of the world do you think possibly uh, merits such atrocities, really? You know, I mean, right. obviously the scale of Luthen's atrocities are minor compared to the scale of the empires. Like, Luthen's like, well, I'll, I'm willing to sacrifice 50 men for keeping, you know, this ISB agent, blah, blah, blah. And the empire's like, well, we're willing to fry 100 to, you know, keep our whatever they're making at that place factory going, you know, with mm-hmm. their prison labor. Right. I also think it's interesting because – um the way Luthen thinks strikes me as fairly similar to the the general who Andor is like taking yes. orders from in Rogue One. Yes. You know, the one who's like, I don't care what anyone else, what Mon Mothma says or anyone else. We have to just kill Junior. So yeah, I know? did not like that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't either. And I think I that I think him they, existing, but yeah, and I think they play similar roles. And I think to me, the fact that like I don't, I assume Andor is going to reconnect with Luthen at some point. And the idea that like Luthen helped recruit Andor and that Andor is le- later going to work for that general who has such a similar mindset, like I don't think it's coincidental. I know? agree. I agree. And which I think is going to be interesting because I think kind of like it – and I, I trust the show to do this. But like it's again the prequel problem because I feel like if Andor ends this season or even like season two of Andor saying like, oh, Luthen, you're totally wrong. I reject that. That's not right. Then his action, then him going back to follow that general in in Rogue One doesn't really make sense. Yeah, so I don't think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. But, um, um, but I mean, in terms of just like following someone or not, like I don't know. I think if somebody has a cloak that awesome, mm-hmm. I mean, you just, you just, <laughs> I mean, what chance do you have to like be like, no, I think you're wrong. I mean, it's like he's got the cloak, you know, like. And here's the other thing I wanted to suggest, and this may be kind of what you were implying earlier. 
I think it is very possible that we got a real insight into who Luthen is and what motivates him. I think it's also possible that this is utter nonsense that he just said because he knows this is the way to keep his ISB mole doing what the ISB mole is doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that we don't know yet. Yeah. You know, I think I think there's so many shows and movies that are in such a hurry to tell you everything they can about their characters. So, like, they make sure you know who this person is. And it's like, I feel like I can hear the writers like being like, oh, okay, we have to establish, establish character in scene one. And then the next scene will establish this. And here it's just like, yeah, we're going to show you people. We're going to show you them in context and you can figure out who you think they are. And either that's who they're going to be or it's not, you know, and over time, we're going to tell you more about who they are. But we're not necessarily going to give you their whole backstory, you know. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna, we're not gonna tell you everything. We're gonna leave room for for you to interpret on your own, you know. And and some things are going to be revealed, and some things, you know, won't be. Like I don't think we're ever going to know Nemec's backstory, you know. Yeah, agreed. And, and, and that's I think fine. With, and I think with Luthen especially, it works because I think. It, it, like I said, it may well be that he's not quite this complicated, but it may well be that like not only are the writers not going to tell us, it's in part because Luthen doesn't know for sure. Sure. Like when you spend that much time being the chameleon and always saying the thing that the, that person wants to hear, it kind of becomes hard to remember like, okay, what exactly do I feel, you know, and how do I feel about this? And and it, it can be his way of hiding from like not wanting to think this, almost kind of like pretending to be super guilty about it as a way to deal with like. Maybe I should feel guilty about it. Nah, you know? <laughs> right. Like, you should go so deep on that. Yeah. I do feel like I mostly buy it, though. You know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. It certainly feels very believable. Yes. Like, it doesn't feel like it's fake, but I also feel like I, we just don't know what... if He might then turn to Mothma and be like, give a completely different presentation and like, who knows what's the real thing. Right. Uh, and let's talk about Mothma because I think it's very intentional that as he's talking about like sacrificing all these other people and also all the sacrifices that he's made and all the people the ISB has made, that Mothma is basically like, okay, you're the person I kind of need to make this happen, but you want to set my daughter up on a date? Nope, I'm not going to make that sacrifice. And like, I, I, I think she's right not to because I think there's something very sleazy about the guy, but it felt like a very interesting contrast of how little she's willing to give up compared to – well, I mean, well, how little on the surface because I think it's actually – especially given her relationship with her daughter, kind of like pimping her daughter out is a huge sacrifice. But but compared to some of the others, it, it doesn't feel that way in a way that I think is really important in terms of like showing that contrast. Yeah. I mean, you could say that she's not willing to give up as much as Luthen's willing to give up. And I think that feels somewhat fair in terms of Luthen's like, I gave up love. I gave up, you know, sunshine. I gave mm-hmm. up like hope forever actually being the one to be able to enjoy the new world that I want to be, you know, create. Um, and she's like, nah, you can't, son, your son can't date my daughter. Um, but on the right. other hand, you know, Luthen's willing to give up all these other things um, on behalf of other people, you know, yeah. like and, and other not- people's lives. 
And Moth was not willing to make her daughter make a sacrifice. Exactly. Which I think is the key point. Yeah. So, you know, I, th- I think it's kind of both, right? It's like, yeah, Luthen is more like, no, we make all the sacrifices, right? Like whatever they are, whether it's us making a sacrifice for ourselves or us choosing to sacrifice other people because we just think it's what needs to be done. Um you know, versus like, you know, Mon Mothma being like, you know, I, I think my daughter should have agency, you know, and like yeah. she would probably think, yeah, I think you should warn, you know, Krieger, uh, like basically, um, which, yeah, like you should warn Krieger because like, <laughs> you know, you can't just let them all die, right? You can't let them walk mm-hmm. into a trap. And uh, I think like it's, I don't think one is like clearly right, you know, I mean, and also I don't I like I don't think it's like really like just a date. It's like, you know, clearly the dude is talking about like trying to set up like an arranged marriage. Right. It's like, oh, it's just just a meeting, just a meeting. And it's like, you know, Mon Mothma knows like that's not really what he's after. Right. Um, Yeah. And we know that like Mon Mothma, the implication I seem is that like kids in Centrilla get married very young, often arranged. And I think. Kind of the implication is that, like, because we know Mon Mothma also got married right. very young. Yeah. And so I think that's how her and Perrin wound up together. Exactly. Is, and not very happily, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's even – yeah, I think that's even more why Mon, you know, feels this is so objectionable. Mm-hmm. But also just the level of, like, A, wanting to protect her daughter, but also I think you're right. It's that she knows that, like – Every inch she gives this guy, he's going to want more. That it won't be okay if, like, her daughter meets his son and is like, yeah, he he's ugly. No thanks. And, you know, never sees him again. Like, there's going to always be pressure for more. And then if they get married, then he's going to want more influence. And, like, it's just going to be, like, you, you don't want to let him, like, let, let him in the door at all because it's just going to always be more and more and more. Right. And, and that dude doesn't want to set his son up with her daughter for his son's sake. Right. Yeah. No, no. This is not like I think they'll get along together. This right. Is- it's it's like a, you know, a political marriage, which like, I don't know, I find disgusting. Like the whole idea of it is just revolting. But like, um, you know, on the other hand, like I can understand the perspective of like, yeah, but like what's one person's misery compared to like the galaxy? You know, right. Like one person's suffering compared to a galaxy of misery. It's like, well, it's. It's a lot for that one person, right? Like, so, like, yeah, I mean, I agree with her and I disagree with Luthen in terms of, like, their individual decisions. But mm-hmm. um, I, I do think it's set up as, you know, an, an interesting sort of um, juxtaposition, really. Yeah. I mean, I think to some extent, and again, I don't, I don't want to take the metaphors too far, although it's, it's not it's not technically a metaphor in, in some ways it's real in this world but i feel like luthan is falling to the dark side to some extent and that he's getting that kind of like you know he's convinced he's doing everything for the right reasons and so he's allowing himself to do more and more in terms of like making decisions that are sacrificing other people's lives and other other things like that for what he sees as the greater good yeah absolutely and you know it's definitely you know, he's becoming what he's fighting in a lot of ways, yeah. right? And, right. Um, you know, that's the idea of like fighting anger with anger. You fight hate with hate and eventually, you know, you're not any different than what you were fighting in the first place. Right. Or that that's 
that's the danger, right? I mean, it doesn't mean you can't be angry about being wronged or seeing other people oppressed and and have that anger motivate you to action. Um, but I, I do think, you know, as we were saying before, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a dark path and, and it's, I think you need a really clear idea of who you are and what you're fighting for and who you're fighting for. And like that they want that and that, you know, that kind of everybody on your team is on board with this idea of like, yes, we're, mm-hmm. you know, like in the prison, it's like they were like, yeah, we're okay. You know, let's all <laughs> go. Right. Like they were yeah. just all on the same team. And it was like one way out, you know, <laughs> one way out, run, climb, kill. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. You know, and, um, you know, and if somebody wanted to stay, they could stay and be like, I didn't, I didn't rebel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't hurt me. You know? And, yeah. You know. Maybe works. Who knows? Right. They probably get killed uh, off anyway by the Empire. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the Empire is just going to bomb that facility. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, probably. going to blow yeah. it up and yeah. forget about it, yeah. you know? Very end of uh, some other thing that if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, you yes, don't. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, or I would just think about in Rogue One, them just being like, let's just blow up Scarif. Like, sure, we've got a lot of our own troops down there. Right. And all of our records, but like, whatever. Yeah, just, they, you know, they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. We've got about an hour. We're trying to keep us our limit. Any other kind of last things you want to say about this episode? Um, let's see. So we had the prison break. We pretty much covered that. Uh, we had the Luthan scene. Covered that. We had the mm-hmm. shortest scene on um, Ferex. Oh, yeah. So clearly, you know, uh, Marva is not well and or is planning... Andor. Um, is, is that her last name? Is it Marva Andor? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. Anyway, Maybe. She, yeah, I, th- I think it might be. Anyway, <laughs> she may or may not also be planning to go blow up the the, the place where all the Imperials are there. Um, mm-hmm. And then we saw Cinta spying on, you know, the, the people going to check on her. And then there was someone else there. Was that Cyril or who was that? I couldn't tell. I, I might go back later and look because I couldn't tell who that was. Because there was like someone kind of lurking and not totally the shadows. And I was like, is that one of the main people who works in the Imperial facility there? Or is it Cyril like going to try and do some undercover work on his weekend or taking some sick days? I don't know. <laughs> and yeah. like, how is that going to go over with Mira? She's going to be like, are I you stalking that- me to here too? I don't think it was Cyril, okay. but yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what was up with that, but um, yeah, overall, just, I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's funny. I feel like I have less to say about this episode than the last episode, even mm-hmm. though there was like more action, but it's like, you know, a lot of the action, it's like, yeah, there, you know, it was well done. It was yeah. not over the top, I felt. I loved that they were just throwing the tools at yeah. them, you know, and that that was their first weapons. And then they're like, okay, now we got all your plasters. You're done for. Yeah. I loved the Imperial Guards just hiding in a closet somewhere. Yeah. You know, that felt I, so real. Like I, I wondered at first, were they going to like, was, were they planning to like sneak up, you know, let right. everyone run past? Yeah. And it's like, no, no. They're, they're just scared. They're just trying to survive. Like, like one of the things that this keeps driving home for me is like, 
most of the people in the imperial service by this point are probably conscripts. Mm -hmm. Like there are some true believers and there's some who like get drafted and like Ruha, you know, there's some who get drafted and like, you know, hoorah. Uh, And like, I think you can say that like, yeah, like you should um, like if you're getting drafted into a fascist army, like, yeah, you should maybe try to like, you know, dodge the draft or like get away. But like in this world, clearly that's not the easiest thing to do. There's not a lot of Canada to go to anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so like, again, it doesn't make any of what they do okay, but it also was like, yeah, you're also just victims in this awful, awful system. Yeah. Um, I don't mind when Andor kills you because you would have been willing to kill Andor, but I can't hate you. You know, right, right. I, I you're can't a victim just like, and a perpetrator of yeah. you know making other people victims. Yeah, like, and, and that's kind of what the two things I'll close with was one. Yeah, it, it felt like it's just one more time where like the fight scenes were cool to watch, but like I, I went and saw Black Adam earlier today, and I just needed ways to distract myself from election news and all that. And it's a much better movie than I thought it would be. It's silly fun. It actually does some good things to the DC universe, and I'm excited to see where they go with. And the fight scenes were over the top and ridiculous and CGI. But, you know, when, like, the bad guys get terrible things done to him, you're kind of like, yeah, you get him, you know? I don't think there's ever going to be a time with that in Andor, you mm-hmm. know, where I feel like, yay, that bad guy got what was coming to them. It's just like, oh, yeah. People who were doing bad things got killed, and that's probably for the best. But yeah, they wrong. Just you know, okay. Yeah, and like I, I think that's great. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I, I definitely felt some of that when like Andor shot the one guard who was like kind of trying to get up. He's like, no, I'm I'm just shooting you. You just shot like a bunch yeah. of people here. <laughs> like you're you're not getting that's back fair. up. But yeah, no, I, I I agree. I mean, it definitely has a. Just has a different feel, you know, yeah. from from I mean, it has action. Right. And yeah. that that is a part of the story. But I think the a combination of the pacing and the sort of matter of factness of the action compared to mm-hmm. it being like it doesn't feel staged. Right. Even though obviously it is yeah. choreographed. Right. <laughs> like they're not really shooting each other with blasters, but like it mm-hmm. just it just feels like it just feels real in a different way. And um, yeah, I, I just I thought this was an, an excellent anti penultimate episode. And yeah. uh, I think the show just continues to be actually I want to say literally the best thing I've ever seen Disney make. Like, and I know it's not like just Disney, right? But it's like within mm-hmm. anything I can think of that Denny, Disney has made, I'm like, yeah, no. I mean, it's just, it's like top whatever tier of things, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's definitely true. I, I think it is going to be on my like top 10 TV shows probably for a while. Um, you know, again, it's hard to make those lists, but I think it's definitely going to come to mind. And, and that kind of goes to the last thing I was going to say, which is that. One of the places where I think shows often start to stumble is when they've gotten their character to a certain point and they're not ready yet to like further that character's arc, but they need to fill time in a few more episodes. And so it so those episodes feel a little bit like they're just kind of like spinning their wheels to 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 get to the finale Mm. and or they feel like they have to have their character have some like new development every episode and it feels kind of forced and like i love the netflix mcu shows 
but almost all of them, with the exception really of Daredevil season one and somewhat season three, but even there I felt like there's a little bit of this, they always felt like there was one sort of like plot twist around like episode nine through ten, nine and ten that just felt like, okay, you're doing this, but you really could have skipped all this. This show is going to be the same length, 12 episodes, and I've never felt – I think what they've one thing they've done so well is to say sometime this can be Andor's story where he is the one having a character arc. And then he can just be kind of our protagonist and be a part of these other characters who are having their own arcs around him. Like Cre- Kino is the one who really had development over the last two episodes. Like Andor did some extent in that he kind of learned a new way to like deal with people – but it was not really about him. And in some ways, I feel like it's, it, the show is named after him, but it feels at this point like it's an ensemble cast of which he's perhaps the getting the most screen time. But like, it's not his show because there's all these plot lines that are getting so much attention. And I just, it, it just is something so refreshing to see because I'm so used to that kind of either we have to push a character's plot in all these directions or we just spin our wheels. And this show is finding a way to, to not do either, but just give us more interesting characters and situations. Yeah. So I think all of that is true, but also I feel like Andor actually has changed a lot over the last three episodes. Mm-hmm. In a, but not in a way that it it doesn't feel like they're trying to make us see that. Like it's we it's easy to to not really think about. But like he basically went from being a dude who was like, let me just go chill on like Star Wars Miami Beach, right? Mm-hmm. And like run to the bodega and like grab you know some snacks to. Someone who basically said, you know, I would rather die fighting them than live giving them what they want or die living them what they want. I forget the exact quote, but like Mm -hmm. that he wouldn't have said that four episodes ago. You know, I think he Mm. is actually now a fundamentally different person in terms of like his perspective than he was a few episodes ago. And I think that kind of happened Almost invisibly, but mm-hmm. also in plain sight, if that makes sense. Like, they weren't... Yeah, I'm... Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm not sure about that, in part because... And maybe maybe it's because, like... Because at first, what I thought you were going was, like, because he's now willing to sort of fight for others, and, like, he sees this terrible thing happen to everyone else. And I... I, I you didn't say that. No, I, I'm not saying I that. I don't yeah. think he... I think he's just... Like, I think if he thought... If he figured out a way where he could get out by himself he would probably do it. Like, I don't think he's motivated yet, but, but I think he, but that, he does want to ha- he does want to free all these people. I, I kind of feel like, though, that like, because... But so, I mean, that's, that, not, that's not my point, though. Right, no, I, I agree with you. I, so, so I'm agreeing with you in that regard. I guess I'm not totally sold on the fact that I... Because I do feel like he has a lot of... Um, look, I'm going to take crazy chances if like the only other alternatives i'm just gonna die and i to me it's when he sees that there is literally no other way out that he he becomes this person so i'm not sure i i, but, I guess i feel like to me that's what the next the next couple of episodes are going to show me 
who he became. And then maybe, yeah, it'll be like, you you may have seen that like the arc happened now, whereas I'll see like the arc is getting of what happened to him and the prison is getting paid off in the next two episodes. Because I'm, I'm not quite as sure about that as you are, but I definitely see where you're coming from. And I, I think it's very possible that I'll see that after the next episode or two. Yeah, I think, I think so. And I mean, that's kind of what I mean by like, I feel like it's kind of invisible, but in plain mm-hmm. sight, like I think it's there to see. But I don't – but they're not saying, hey, look at this. Right. You know? They're spending much more time on other – like, I feel like Kino was in some ways more the the protagonist of this episode or certainly the the focus character much more so than Andor was. Kino was the character who clearly had, like, a moment of change, right? A moment of clarity of a couple moments too, right? Yeah. Like, first there was the last – moment of the last episode then there was here when he finally spoke up and was like it's true they're not letting us out you know there's right. only one way out and that's we have to make that way um to and, like and a quick thing on that yeah he had also been so convinced that they were listening in on him before in the last episode right and he's just openly talking about rebellion that that's also a huge change for him right exactly and so that's like he learned a new thing Right. He learned mm-hmm. a new fact that changed his perspective. And but he didn't instantly like it, it took him a moment. Right. Like he had to kind of get over. He had to like be like, OK, like this is this is what we have to do. Right. Like he he, he bought in emotionally, but like he still it, there's fear. Right. And there's it's difficult. And then also making the speech like he had a moment there. Like that didn't just come like super easy to him, right? Mm-hmm. And then, then he realized he can't swim. <laughs> He's yeah. like, "Oh, I just orchestrated a prison break along with uh, my new buddy Andor, and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I actually can't go." It turns out, you know. Um, so I totally agree that like I think Kino had this very there was this moment at the end of last episode, and then this entire episode was kind of like. Kino changing, right? Mm-hmm. But I actually think Andor had his moment before this. Um, but it, but it's been it's been a little bit more of a process of like realizing just like the empire is everywhere, and like there's just there's no just like necessarily slipping through. I don't know. And maybe ep- yeah. next episode he will still be trying to do that. I don't think – I'm not saying like he's going to go search out Luthen or something, you know. Right. Yeah. But I think he's not in the – the Empire isn't a problem if you don't look up kind of yeah. camp anymore. I think that sh- that's gone. That, that's very fair. <clears throat> and, and maybe I think what you're saying is kind of like a better way of what I was saying is that it, it's not that he hasn't had an arc – it's that the show is willing to not focus on that to say like hundred percent. That's exactly gonna, what I'm saying. Yeah, we're going to let it happen in the background, yeah. and it's it's either way. It makes for a fully compelling twelve episode arc in a way that I think like the Netflix shows, as good as they often were, with one or two exceptions, often really struggled with. And so, and and I like I certainly all, a lot of the Disney Disney Plus MCU shows I think have definitely struggled with. Yeah, slash um, like almost every show ever. You know yeah, what I mean? I'm like, true. like I think this show, what it's doing is like what we were just talking about Anakin and like that moment and how that moment doesn't usually work for me. 
Yeah, how, it's letting it be a slow development that you just notice it eventually. Exactly. And it's this gradual thing and there's little moments where you're like, oh, okay, now this, now this. And and it's like – and I think this is more often how people change, right? Mm-hmm. I think more often it's not these, um, these just like inflection points. I think it's a – you know – it's an arc. It's like literally right. an arc, right? It's not a line. It's not, it, it's not, you know, a, a sharp angle. It's like there is an arc here. And, um, and it's subtle enough that I think it's easy for someone to miss, but I think it's yeah. there. And I think the next two episodes, I, I do think that's, that's what will pay it off, but I don't think it's because there's going to be one thing that happens and that's going to change everything. I do think there's going to be some things that are going to happen that are going to be a big deal and have a huge effect. But I think, um, they have very subtly laid all the groundwork for that. And there's already this, this trajectory and then maybe, you know, the, the next couple episodes will be like uh, throwing, you know, gasoline on the fire. Yeah. Because the I spark is lit. It. Yeah. Spark is definitely lit. All right. I think it's a good place to wrap up. Um, Paul, uh, Paul is Zen Madman. Search for Zen Madman in most of the places and you'll find him. I am the Ethical Panda. Search for the Ethical Panda in most of the places. You'll find me, especially if you go to theethicalpanda.com. There you can find ways to give us feedback. We've been getting some good ones. Uh, our episodes are just going so long that what we're going to do is we're going to save them and we're going to do a sort of and or feedback episode at the end. Definitely check that out. Check out the great stuff we're doing over on Superhero Ethics. Check out all the great things that Paul is doing. And most importantly, as fans, be good to each other. And hopefully one day I will come up with a consistent tagline. And find a friend who will light it up for you like Melshi. There you go. And P- Paul doesn't mean pot. Yeah, no. I mean, like, blow up a beach on Scarif. What are we, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, there you go. 